Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Good morning. Can I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7, we're going to continue in this series in Hebrews and pick up on the story of Melchizedek. Um, and uh, I've not had, I've probably never had as many people as recently ask me about and tell me about Melchizedek. And uh, you may have not even heard of him. You don't have any neighbors named Melchizedek. And uh, you, some of you never even went to high school with a guy named Melchizedek. But uh, the Bible talks about Melchizedek briefly, a little bit. And uh, we, we were there, and then we kind of dropped off for a couple of weeks and uh, dealt with these warning passages. And now we've returned to his story. It's a story of a better priest. Now, let me introduce the message to you this way. I, I read a fair... A number of books, okay? Uh, I, I read a lot of different stuff, but usually in the genres that I read, I find it helpful for me to begin in the initial pages, whether it's the introduction or it's a foreword by someone, and uh, to just spend time to kind of hear from the author, what's the big idea of this thing I'm about to read? If you're about to open up a book with seven or 800 pages in there, you kind of want to know, where's this dude driving before I get in a car with him, all right? So you kind of have to get that idea. And by the way, it's helpful when you're looking at something as weedy as the book of Hebrews, as weedy as this section on Melchizedek, to understand where is the writer going with this? What is he trying to help us to understand? So remember the point, the big idea, the big picture of the book of Hebrews is to make the case that Jesus is better. Now in the first five chapters of that book, we've learned a couple of things along the way. We've learned that Jesus is a better revealer than all of the prophets before him. He helps us understand God. And uh, without him, there would be less understanding about the person, the character, the plan, the, 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 about God himself. He's more glorious than all of the angels. We learned that. And, uh, and uh, that's important to understand because the Hebrews had kind of moved to a place to where they revered angels almost in a godlike way. And he said, no, 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 Jesus is greater than angels. We saw that Jesus is a better deliverer and leader than Moses, who was the most revered of all leaders and all of the deliverers among God's people. He was the greatest of them. And he said, no, no, Jesus is greater than him. We learned that, that Jesus is more sympathetic as a, as a, as a man than all other men. He, he, was more, he was and is more sympathetic towards you and I than any priest could ever be. He understands our weaknesses. He's endured the greatest of struggles and yet shows sympathy towards you and I. 
And in chapter 5, we were introduced to this guy Melchizedek in the idea that Jesus is a better priest than all of the priests that have come throughout all of Israel's history, all throughout the, the Jewish law, all throughout the, the time of, of, uh, of intercession through a priesthood. He's better than all of those. Jesus is better. Now, in that last chapter, the writer paused the flow, wanted to call us uh, the audience and us by extension wanted to call us to a, a point of arrest. It was like he said, like my third grade teacher used to say, hey, 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 sit up straight. Listen to me. Look this way. Eyes straight ahead. You could tell I played around a lot in class, right? So she would say these things to me in order to catch my attention so that I would pay wholehearted attention to everything that was about to be said because it was really important. And that's why the writer of Hebrews did this here because he wanted us not to miss anything about this picture because when you start talking about a high priest that even precedes the high priesthood, well, then you, you might have a tendency to just drone off a minute. But he said, no, no, this is so critical. You must pay close attention. That's what we're going to look at. And today we return to the study of this picture of the high priesthood, this picture of Jesus as a better priest in the stories of Melchizedek through the analogy of Melchizedek. So we're in Hebrews 7, we're going to begin in verse 1 and hey if you're able can I invite you to stand with me in honor of the Word of God. Hebrews 7 and verse 1 is where we'll begin if you're joining us from home or from another place. Hey I'm grateful for you, thank you for being here. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation and I trust you'll follow along with us. Hebrews 7 and 1 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, Although these are descended from Abraham, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Pause right there. Pray with me. Father, even in these moments, would you help us not get lost in the weeds, not miss the forest for all the trees around us, but to understand precisely what you want us to know about Jesus as the better priest. And then I pray as we respond to that, it would bring honor and glory to your name. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You be seated. And 
Hey, if you'd like to follow along, there's an outline available for you. We make those available just so you can kind of keep up with the flow of thought, kind of like I was talking about in the beginning. But I want to show you, if I could this morning, three lessons on the supremacy of Christ through this analogy that's made about Melchizedek. Three lessons that we're introduced to through the analogy of Melchizedek that help us understand that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better. So notice with me, first of all, the lesson of the tithe, the lesson of the tithe. Now, here's my last lawyer pre-qualification small print thing that I want to tell you, okay? If this is going to take us several weeks to understand the analogy. You say, why is it going to take several weeks? It only took the writer of Hebrews a few lines because I'm not an inspired writer of a book of the Bible. Okay, that's why. And because I don't want us to miss anything. So it's going to take several weeks to unpack the picture. So you can miss a week if you want to, but you're going to miss part of the picture. You'll still get the idea of Jesus is better, but can I encourage you probably for the next three weeks, try to be there because you don't want to miss this. If there's any office that I think, if you could divide the offices of Christ to anything, if there's any office that's really, really important, they're all really important, but that's really, really important. It's the high priesthood of Christ. So that's what we're going to unpack together, okay? So as we do this now, I want you to notice with me, first of all, the man Melchizedek. We're looking at the lesson of the tithe. Notice the man Melchizedek. That's kind of where the writer kicks off his argument about him. And uh, we pick it up there in uh, chapter 7, verse 4. He says, now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choice of spoils. So he's telling us, first of all, Melchizedek's a great man. And they're all like, who? We've never heard of this man before. Who paid attention to him? David, David mentioned his name in the Psalms. Other than that, we don't know much about him. Yeah, that's exactly right. But he was a great man, he says. Just as we'll be taught of Jesus' greatness in comparison to Melchizedek, we learn about Melchizedek's greatness by comparing him to the patriarch, to, to, uh, to Abraham, the one they wrote the song about. Father Abraham had many sons. You know the one? So anyway, we're not singing it. We're not singing it. I just want to see if you knew it. But now, he says, compared to the patriarch, they write songs about. Man, Melchizedek, I want you to see how he relates to him so that you can take Jesus and see how he relates to Melchizedek. Now, Genesis 14 tells us about this encounter with Melchizedek and with Abraham. In Genesis 14, it records the war of the kings. And in that battle that took place, there were five kings, including the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, that had gathered together, combined their forces to go to battle against four other kings. By the way, five lost to Four. And the four remaining kings did what was common in their day. They took the spoils. You'll read about that. They took the spoils, all of the, the, the proceeds of the, the, the losing team. They went into their homes and they took their art. They took their jewelry. They took their livestock. In many cases, they would take their servants. They would take their wives and those would become part of the possession that was gained through conflict. You say, that is a terrible time to live. I know, right? But it's still the truth. And this took place. And since Sodom uh, had fallen, some of those who were taken were the people of Lot, Abraham's nephew. 
Lot and his wives and children and possessions and all were taken as part of the spoils of war and they were carted away into slavery and the word got back to Abram. He learned that his nephew along with all of his possessions were taken and then notice how he responds. Genesis 14 beginning in verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, <coughs> excuse me, and defeated them and pursued them as far as Obah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative Lot and with his possessions and also the women and the people. Now, you may say, well, yippee-ki-yay, so what? Well, listen, this is a big, big deal. Abram, who was a farmer, uh, an agriculturalist, but like most men, he was uh, like the men that settled the Wild West who were handy with the iron. He was handy with a sword. And he gathered together this small group of men. You say 318 small. It's small compared to the armies of these five, of these four kings and all the slaves that they have. It was the equivalent of taking a Navy SEAL team and going up against a division-sized element of thousands. And he chased them down. And uh, verse 1 says he slaughtered them there, utterly destroyed the enemy forces. And then brought back with them uh, Lot and all of Lot's possessions and the others. Now, picture this image, if you will. You've got Abram, Abraham, same guy, riding home, either on a donkey or a camel or whatever, coming home with his 318 warriors and Lot and Lot's wives and all of the children and all of these possessions. He's coming back. Abram's covered with uh, dirt. He's been fighting, for heaven's sake, against thousands. He's covered in dirt and, and mud and, and, and blood spatter all over his, his outfit from slaughtering with a, with a sword hundreds of men probably personally. And yet looks like, looks like Rambo coming back in after doing his thing. I mean, he just is a stud. And everybody who sees him coming, they're like, Holy cow, there's Abram. Man, what a, what a guy. Until Melchizedek approaches. Abram, this big, powerful, military figure, this larger-than-life person, now is greeted by a priest, Melchizedek. And when he sees Melchizedek, he comes and he brings to him an offering, a tenth of everything that he's taken. By the way, no small offering since what he took would have involved the, the spoils of four different kingdoms and all the spoils they had taken from the five kingdoms. We're not talking about, hey, he dropped a fiver out of his pocket and brought it over there. This guy right here brought, I have to make it up in my sanctified imagination, I mean millions of dollars and brought it to Melchizedek as an offering. You say, why? Because of the greatness of Melchizedek. This great military 
conqueror, this great wealthy man, this man who, because he gave the word, 318 of his, his men from his house who were in his house, these are his servants, he's a big deal, got off the animal that he was riding on and ordered that this offering be brought to Melchizedek because Melchizedek was a great man. Now, consequently, for Abraham, the great-grandfather of Israel, the great-great-grandfather to the 12 tribes, for him to bring a tithe to Melchizedek speaks not primarily of Abraham's humility, but of the greatness of Melchizedek. By the way, just as uh, an aside, and because it's Time Change Sunday, and that has nothing to do with anything other than I wanted to say that, the offering of tithes to to God today is pretty much the same. Melchizedek's greatness was derived from the fact, not who his family was, because we don't even know who they were, but from the fact that he was a priest to Most High God. It actually, his significance related to how he related to God himself. You say, well, why did you bring that up? Did you know I just, I just updated my numbers on this this week just to make sure I was right. Did you know that in the United States, the average Christian, not the average citizen, the average Christian gives 2.5% of their income to the church? 2.5, the average, 2.5%. Now, you may say, that much? Yep, that much. You may say, that much? Yep, that much. You may say, only that much? Yep, only that much. However you would de- determine that, that's 2.5%. That's a lot different than bringing a tenth, 10%. It's actually, hey, here's the math. My teacher would be so proud. That's one-fourth of what Abram brought to Melchizedek. You say, yeah, but these are tough economic times. Did you know that in the Great Depression, that same number, same number was 3.3%? Now, I'm going to tell you, if in the Great Depression, where meatloaf was bread loaf, 3.3% happens, you can't tell me it's the economy. It's not the economy that does that. It can't be that. It's got to be something else. Could it be discipleship? Maybe. Could it be debt? I mean, we got more debt now than we ever had before. It could be. Could it be a diminished view of the greatness and worthiness of God? Man, I think without a doubt. Because listen, if, if Abram had such a high view of God that he would take this stuff that he just slaughtered thousands of men to take, if he would take a tenth of that and bring it to somebody he's never known, never met before, and offer it because he's a priest of God, I'm here to tell you, God's a big deal. And to not do that would be, conversely, to say God's not that big of a deal to the person that would not do such now that's just that's just basic observation Jesus said that was true by the way he said you can tell about where a man's heart is by seeing where he invests his treasure now I've had folks told me by the way this is free I've had folks told me they said well you know Chris since Jesus fulfilled the law the tithe went away interesting that you brought that up since Melchizedek existed outside of, before, and apparently perpetually around and over the law. And that still exists. Interesting that you brought that up since the gospel 
uh, records that Jesus, dealing with a Pharisee, said, you bunch of hypocrites, you tie the very spices that you put on your food, but you don't show uh, grace and mercy and love toward one another. These things, love, grace, mercy, you should have done without leaving the other tithing of the spices, without leaving that undone. Here's what he said. You can tell, you can tell a man's heart by looking at his checkbook. Now, I don't ever talk about this very much, but can I tell you, that was the biggest stronghold of Chris Aiken's discipleship. The biggest stronghold of my discipleship coming up. Because I thought, that's mine. Now listen, beyond the fact that it's not really mine, it's just on loan to me from the Lord who gave it to me. Beyond that fact, even if it were mine, isn't Jesus worthy? If it were mine, isn't he worthy of that? That's what I had to come to in my life. And folks struggle with that still today even. So, the lesson of the tithe demonstrates to us that Melchizedek was even greater than the one who God said, through you, Abram, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So notice not only the lesson of the tithe, notice secondly the lesson of the blessing. The lesson of the blessing. Now, this is another one of those places where we might need a tutorial to really grasp fully what, what we're trying to see here because the, it's weird to us when we talk about the blessing. You think about the blessing, you're thinking about those words you say before you eat Mexican on, on Sundays after you leave church. You're thinking about that thing. But this is far more than that. The original audience wouldn't have required the understanding, but you and I might a bit today. So here's the principle. The greater always blesses the lesser. The greater always blesses the lesser. We see that, by the way, in verse 7, where he says, without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The greater one does the blessing to the lesser one. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. You'll be great, but I'm greater, is what he said. And make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. You'll be greater than others because you'll be the blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all, by the way, it means all, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, the language there screams, Abraham, you're greater than all the families of the earth because the greater always blesses the lesser. So now go back to Hebrews 7, verses 1 and 2. He says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, the greater blesses the lesser, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils was first of all, by the translation of his name, both king of righteousness and king of Salem, which means king of peace. Now if the greater blesses the lesser, then Melchizedek has to be greater than Abraham, who God said through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now notice with me, Melchizedek, sought to bless Abraham, not Abraham seeking the blessing of Melchizedek. 
that's a big deal because it's God who sought out Abram to start with. And it's Melchizedek who sought out Abram here to do the blessing. You think, I got to go, I got to go impress God so he'll bless me. Ridiculous. God's a blesser by his nature. That's his personhood. That's who he is. And he sought out Abram in order to bless him. Melchizedek sought him out. He met him. And then he blessed him. And then, catch this, Abraham yielded before Melchizedek in order to receive the blessing. See, Abraham could have said, I don't know this strange man who's coming to me. One of you 318 men go separate him from me. You're my security. You're my detail. You guys make sure he gets away from me. I don't want to talk to him. I'm tired. I just slaughtered thousands. I'm tired. I don't have time for this. He didn't, he didn't do that. When he saw him, there was something about him that caught him that he was a priest. And, and Abraham came and he yielded himself before Melchizedek in order to be blessed. All of that before ever giving him a tithe, by the way. See, the blessing isn't some crid quo quo. Hey, you've, you've uh, blessed me, so now I'm going to give you something. It's actually, hey, you've blessed me, and I'm responding to Almighty God. And oh, by the way, it wasn't the priest going, well, since you brought that tithe in here, I'm going to bless you. That's TV preachers. That's not the Bible. Hello? I didn't get this, but my church in New York, the one uh, Jody and I planted up there years ago, I had a family, Eastern origin, who taught us this. They came from India, and uh, uh, Raj was his name. He's now the dean of a business school up in uh, New Jersey or New York City. And uh, anyway, so Raj and Sona would come after services every Sunday, and they would bring their sons, Jacob, Yaakov, and David and bring them to me and they would say, Pastor, you're to bless them. They didn't ask me if I wanted to. They said, you're to bless them. I said, what's that all about? And uh, how does this work, Raj? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm from South Carolina. You got to net this thing out for me. <laughs> Place your hands on their head and give them a word of blessing. Bless you. <laughs> That's how it started. But then I started, that caused me to go research and understand, what's that about? What's this idea here that's going there? And, and it became as big a blessing to me when David and Jacob would come to me every Sunday. But it was also a teaching point for the parents because they were teaching their children, God desires to bless you, so always yield your life before them. So when David would come up, David's a little old squirt, I mean, squirt. Anyway, and then Jacob, just a little bigger. When they would come up, they would, they would lower their head and wait for the blessing. Now catch this. When I, put, when I would finish, they'd raise their head with these big toothy smiles. Hey, wait a minute. The Lord is the lifter of the head. Are you following me? So it was almost as if they said, I'm not worthy. And God said, yes, you are. You follow? So that's what's taking place here. Abram comes to Melchizedek. He comes and he yields before him. And Melchizedek says, blessed are you the one whom God approves of. And he, he receives that blessing. So in order to catch it, you've got God initiating the blessing. But you've got that person choosing to receive what God has said about them as the blessing. 
The lesson of the tithe, the lesson of the blessing. Number three, listen, the lesson of origin and eternity. The lesson of origin and eternity. The writer takes us back to where does Melchizedek come from and where is he now? Look at verse three. It says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, he made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. Now, Melchizedek is a type of Christ, but he is not Christ. He is not a pre-incarnate vision of Christ. Uh, we call that a Christophany. He's not the second person of the Trinity appearing in the Old Testament. That Jesus does appear in the Old Testament in the second person of the Trinity, the Christophany. This is just good free Bible trivia for you. An example of that would be the angel that uh, Joshua spoke to outside the walls of Jericho when he said, are you for us or are you for our enemies? He said, no, I am. Boom. End of story. Finished. We're done. That's a, that's a pre-incarnate vision. That's not what's going on with Melchizedek. This isn't a statement that Melchizedek was not human. He wasn't an alien from Mars. He didn't come from Roswell. I'm going to be there in a few weeks and preach about that probably. He's not, uh, he, he didn't come from one of those places. He's human. He had parents and one day he died. The point was he had parents and he died, but you never knew when he came, where he came from or where he went because his story's not mentioned anywhere. Now that's a big deal for the audience here because in Jewish culture, much like our own, but maybe to an amped up degree, your ancestry, your lineage was a big deal. That's why the genealogies or the begats, if you read the Old English, are all through the Bible. And you go, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. You're like, good night. What's up with that family tree? No, no. They would say, look at my family tree. It was a big deal. If they said with Melchizedek, you don't know his family tree. And yet, Father Abraham, the patriarch, was lesser than him. He was greater than than him. And oh, by the way, since you don't know his beginning, this you do know, he didn't begin with Abraham because he was already there. And he couldn't have been one of Abraham's great, great, great grandsons, a descendant of Levi. He, prece he preceded him. Look at verses four and five. Observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commanded in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are all descended from Abraham, verses 8 to 10. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi who received tithes paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. I don't want to try to explain that too much, but here's what he said. Levi was still a twinkle in Abraham's eyes, but when Abraham gave a tithe, so did all of Levi and his descendants. You follow? So he said, if you're placing your faith in Levi and in the priesthood and in the Jewish religion and in that Hebrew faith that you might want to turn back to, which you came out of, Remember, your priest 
gave honor to the high priest of God like Melchizedek. So here's what he's telling them. Jesus is better. The role of the Levitical priesthood and the role of the sacrificial system would have been unrivaled in the audience's mind, even salvific in the minds of the Jews. But in Abraham, that even honored Melchizedek as priest of the Most High God, the lesser before the greater. Notice finally, Melchizedek, you don't read about him again. This is it. After this section of... You you don't read about him again after Genesis 14 until David writes about him in the Psalms. A thousand years later, he's not in the Chronicles, he's not in Kings, he's not in any of the other writings, he's not in any of the historical stuff, he's not in any of the the passages of the judges. You say, well, where'd he go? He didn't go anywhere. But David, a thousand years later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in this messianic psalm, mentions him in Psalm 110. Notice what he says in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, Messiah, are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now you say, how did David know to write that? The The Bible, the New Testament teaches us by the theonoustos of inspiration of Scripture. Because all Scripture is, here's what Paul told Timothy, theonoustos, God breathed. Here's David praying, writing love songs, gets to this one about the Messiah he's not met yet, who actually will be a descendant through his line centuries later. And he says, and you will be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I imagine David got up after writing that and put, who? (laughs) Melchizedek? That is weird. And that's exactly right. Why did God bring back Melchizedek to memory a thousand years after Abram met him on that road? For the same reason I think the writer of Hebrews wrote a thousand years after that, Jesus is a better high priest according to this same order of Melchizedek. Jesus is better. He's a better revelation of God. He's more glorious than all of the angels. He's a better deliverer than Moses. He's a better high priest than Aaron and any of the Levites and even Melchizedek. And if you know him this way, then you can celebrate him. And if not, then this same Jesus would call you to turn to him and trust him today because Jesus is better. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com slash next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week, and until next time, may the Lord bless you.